Well, you know, we just have this week and next week in this series. We're coming to a close on our Big Questions of Life series. And if you're going to get your GED in the Christian faith, you're going to have to know the answer to this question because it comes up all the time. Does God still have a special attachment to the Jewish race? And this question is very important for what you see in our news today and forever. Let's talk about two months in 1980 on Mount St. Helens. March 16th that spring, the first sign of trouble, a series of small earthquakes, a hundred earthquakes were recorded that week. March 27th, some steam vent explosions start occurring and it blows off at one point a 250 foot wide crater on the mountain. March 30th, 93 steam vent eruptions take place in one day on March 30th. April 17th, this bulge appears on the north face of the mountain and it grows between five and nine feet taller every single day. From May 7 to 10, there are these small steam eruptions multiplying and there are more than 10,000 earthquakes and the bulge increases now to be 450 feet tall. May 10 through 16, this is a calming period. It kind of takes everybody by surprise. On May 16th, there are no steam eruptions at all, which is so strange. But then on May 18th, 8.32 in the morning, in less than 10 minutes, magnitude 5.1 earthquake makes the summit of the mountain and the bulge slide down. Volcano starts erupting, magma flowing everywhere and a plume of smoke. And this creates the largest avalanche of debris, not snow, but debris in recorded human history. And it kills everything in 230 square miles, including 57 people. Geologist David Johnston died that day. He knew something bad was happening. He didn't want to be there. He wasn't supposed to be there. Somebody begged him to take his place. And so there he was and he died and um, he knew that something was wrong. You can see the difference between the way the mountain looked just before the eruption and just after the eruption. It blew the whole top of the mountain off, that whole side. And the point is, there were signs that something bad was happening. And then one day it did happen. And nobody knew exactly when it was going to happen. And there was even a calm right before the explosion. May 16, no steam vent. May 18, everything changed. We're going to talk today about God's special relationship with Israel. And you should know that this is the number one key for understanding the doctrine of the end times in the Bible. The number one key is God's special relationship with the people of Israel. And you should know that in the end times, God is going to return his preferential favor to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people. And if you get that, then you're going to understand most of Bible prophecy. Without that, you don't have the key to unlock the most important aspects of this. All right, we have three big ideas today. The first big idea is that Jewish people received God's preferential treatment over Gentiles in the past, in the Old Testament days. The second big idea is that Jewish people shall again receive God's preferential treatment over Gentiles in the end times. And the third big idea is just... Jewish people today, the bulge, if you will, uh, that's growing and growing and will eventually lead to an eruption. All right. So Jewish people, you know, did receive preferential treatment in the Old Testament times, right? You know that. 
Six times the Abrahamic covenant is repeated to Abraham in the book of Genesis. But it's also repeated to Abraham's son Isaac, and it's also repeated to Jacob. So it's not just six times, but six times just to Abraham. And here's what it sounds like in Genesis 22, the Genesis 22 uh, rendition of it. God says, by myself I have sworn that in blessing I will bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sandwiches upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. A special note is that part there in verse 16 says, I will bless you and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Your offspring are going to be the most important in the world. They won't really have any enemies to defeat them. That's a big deal. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and chapter 14, you have essentially the same thing being said by Moses to the people on the plains of Moab. He says, God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So the Jewish people are not like everybody else in the Old Testament days. They have preferential treatment above all people, is the way Moses says it on more than one occasion. Same thing in Deuteronomy 26, verse 18. The Lord has declared you this day to be his special people, as he has promised you, and to make you high above all nations. So once again, they're not like the Gentile nations. They're not like the German people and the Asian people and the South American people. They're not. They're high above all of these nations. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. Numbers 23.8. Indeed, says Balaam, trying to curse Israel, and he can't do it. He looks at the people of Israel down below, and he says, Indeed, these people shall dwell alone. They're not like the others. And they shall not be reckoned among the nations. You have everybody else in the world, all the other nations on one side, and over here all by themselves is Israel. They're different. In 2 Samuel 7, And 1 Chronicles 17, we have the same idea. What one nation, what one nation in earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people. For your people Israel, you made your own people forever. See, they are chosen, right? Not like others. Psalm 135, verse 4. The Lord has chosen Jacob. Jacob is the nickname for the entire nation of Israel. Remember, Jacob's nickname is Israel, and so Jacob represents the whole nation of Israel. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. So the Jewish people are not like other people in Old Testament times. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. I have chosen you and not cast you away. So special people, chosen people. Amos 3, 1. O children of Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. There are a lot of tribes and nations and families, but I know the Jewish family. I have a special relationship with them. Romans 4.13 has Paul saying, The promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, Abraham was going to be the boss of the world. Technically, it's his seed, right? Jesus Christ, the descendant. But Abraham was promised, literally, the world. He was promised the world. Acts 1.6 has the disciples saying, right before Jesus ascended up into heaven, after his resurrection, has the disciples saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we going to be the dominant nation in the world? And the Lord doesn't say, that's a ridiculous thought. Israel's not going to be a dominant nation. Don't even think about that. 
He says, it's not for you to know when we're going to do that. So you see, they are not like other nations. The Jewish people are different. They are God's chosen people, and they have a virtual monopoly on God's attention from Genesis to Malachi, and even at the opening of the Gospels and early Acts. So, once you have learned that, you understand why it was an earth-shaking controversy when you come into the age of the church and you have the Apostle Paul saying, actually, there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Because every passage we just looked at said, oh, yes, there is a difference. And now suddenly there's no difference. Well, we're going to fight you on that, Paul. And the early church did indeed fight Paul on that. But, of course, Paul is right. And Colossians 3, 1 says, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. It just doesn't matter to God. Same thing in Galatians 3, 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female. It just doesn't matter. And so we find now this controversy because we were taught in the Old Testament that there's a huge difference between Jews and Gentiles. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Of course there's a difference. And then all of a sudden, and there is no difference now. Well, so the earth-shaking controversy in the early church was that there's not a Jew or a Gentile difference. You know what is the big controversy now today amongst Christians? When we start to say, oh, actually in the end times there shall be a difference again. Like, hey, you can't say that. And so we had a big controversy when we first said there's no difference and now we're having a big controversy and we say in the end times there shall be a difference. And so there's a big a big uh, controversy uh, amongst theologians today, which is correct. So this brings us to our second big idea. Jewish people shall receive God's preferential treatment over Gentiles again in the end times. Remember, this is the key for understanding the Bible prophecy. If you get this, everything falls in line. If you reject this point that's highlighted in yellow, then the Bible is going to be a closed book to you when it comes to the end times. Jewish people shall receive God's preferential treatment over Gentiles again in the end times. The premier passage on this is Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Here the Apostle Paul says, I do not wish, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this. And so many people are relatively ignorant of this, but we're sorry for that. I do not wish, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the full harvest of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. That is such a monumental statement. And it's easy to miss the implications of that. And so all Israel shall be saved. That is, in our current atmosphere, so hostile to racism, which, and, it, and we should be hostile to racism, that is a very racist statement. Do you realize that? Now, it's racist in the sense of preferential treatment to one particular race, Jewish people. But that is saying, and so all Israel shall be saved. Like, what if instead of that, what if the Bible said, and so all white people will be saved? You'd say, that is a terrible thing. You could not even imagine that. Uh, What if we said, and so all German people or so all Italian people will be saved? All of them. I mean, there might be some outliers. But en masse. Like, you can't say that. You can't say that the Jewish people are going to have preferential treatment again. But you realize that's exactly what's going on here. And not only is that preferential treatment, there could never be any bigger preferential treatment. I mean, if the Lord had promised 
And all the German people are going to have lots of money, but not everybody else. Say, that is so unfair. You can't let all the German people have all the money. But this is way bigger than that because it's going to say, and so all Israel shall be saved. What would you rather do? Uh, have all your children with lots of money or have all your children saved? See, this is, what, what is bigger than this? And so all Israel shall be saved. There is no bigger promise than this. Uh, what if the Lord appeared to you in a vision at night and said, I just want you to know that beginning right now, all of your family members are going to be saved. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You just run down the line. All of your family members are going to be saved. I just don't want you to worry about that anymore. Think that is the nicest thing that could possibly happen. This is just groundbreaking, earth-shaking. This is big when the Lord says this. And particularly in light of what we're reading elsewhere in the end times, that the vast majority of everybody else in the world is going to be lost. But not this group, this family. Preferential treatment. All right, so let's compare. Romans eleven twenty six says, And so all Israel shall be saved. And this is the end times, right? And so all Israel shall be saved. But look at another end times passage, Revelation nineteen nineteen. I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And out of his mouth, of course, that's Christ, went a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. So in this apocalyptic war, all the other Gentile nations are going to have huge losses of life. Compare that to Israel. Oh, well, they're all going to be saved. But the Italian people are going to have huge losses. And the German people, huge losses. And the people in South America, huge losses. But the Israelis, all saved. Let's do it again in Zechariah. Romans says, all Israel shall be saved. What does Zechariah say? Well, I'll gather all nations, all of them except Israel. And remember how it is. Israel is not reckoned among the nations. So you have Israel on one side and the nations on the other side in Bible. So Zechariah 14, 2. I'll gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations. He's saving Israel and fighting against those nations at Jerusalem, right? That's what it says. Notice uh, the battle doesn't go well for the Italians, the Germans, the Asians, the South Americans. Um, Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. That cannot be good. Verse 16, and everyone that is left of all the nations, because a whole bunch of them are not going to be left. But everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, then they'll worship the king. Those are the people who are allowed to populate the millennial kingdom. But you notice all Israel is saved and the rest suffer huge, catastrophic, literally apocalyptic losses. You should know that this preferential treatment for Israel is the official doctrine of the early church. This really isn't that controversial that the Lord is going to give special treatment, special favor to Israel in the end times. So, for example, Justin Martyr, a well-known and very early church father, as we call them, he says, the Jews shall, when they see him coming in glory, rend not their garments, but their hearts. That's just a little after the book of Revelation is written. And this church leader says, oh yeah, the Jewish people will repent. They will. Tertullian is still pretty early, about 200 AD. His God will favor with his blessing the circumcision also, even the race of Abraham, which by and by is to acknowledge him. So yeah, yeah, the Jewish people are all going to be saved. 
origin, again, 200 A.D., is when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, Israel comes to salvation at the end of time. Israel repents en masse. Chrysostom, he's the late 300s. And by the way, Chrysostom hated Jewish people, which he should not have done. That's terrible of him. But in light of his anti-Semitism, look what he says. Uh, on the promise of Israel's salvation in Romans 11, he says, if then this has been promised, and it has, if then this has been promised, but has never yet happened in their case, certainly it will come to pass. So Chrysostom, who's very anti-Semitic, say, yeah, it's true, all Israel's going to be saved. Augustine, 400 A.D., <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> it is a familiar theme, <clears throat> excuse me, in the conversation and heart of the faithful, that in the last days, before the judgment, the Jews shall believe in the true Christ. So, oh yeah, all of us Christians talk about that. All Israel is going to be saved in the last days. So you see, it's not that controversial. Cyril, early 400s, he says, At the end of our time, our Lord Jesus Christ will be reconciled with Israel. No one who listens to the words of Holy Scripture can actually doubt that with the passing of time, Israel also will have to be received again into the love of Christ through faith. They all agree. Cassiodorus, 500s AD, says, this verse, Romans eleven twenty five, this verse can be applied also to the Jewish people who we know are to be converted at the world's end. So the official doctrine of the early church is preferential treatment for Israel in the end times. Not preferential treatment for Italian people, not preferential treatment for Asian people, not preferential treatment for anybody else but Israel. That's the official doctrine of the early church. And that's not all. Though the greatest preference that could ever be shown is that all Israel shall be saved, there are others, other favors given to this one nation, unlike any other. We know from Jude chapter 9 that there's only one archangel in the Bible. Arch means head angel. Uh, if you were in high school and you had an arch rival, that'd be the main school that you're against, right? Well, this is an arch angel, if you will. He's the main angel. He's the head angel. And you see in Daniel chapter 12, at that time, Michael, the one archangel, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of your people. So the most powerful angel, good angel in the universe, what nation does he watch out for? Preferential treatment to the Jewish nation. In Zechariah 8.23, notice what's going to happen in the end times. In those days it shall come to pass that ten men out of all the languages of the nations shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Like, oh, you're Jewish? That's cool. We want to worship with you. And there are all these Gentile people who admire the Jewish people in the end times. They're not like everybody else in the end times. It's no longer neither Jew nor Gentile. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is very clearly Jewish preferential treatment, Jewish admiration. But it's really much more than just admiration, isn't it? Isaiah 60, verse 14, is a clear end times passage. It says, The sons of them that afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all that despise you, all the anti-Semites, and all that despise you shall bow themselves, and you shall also be coddled of the Gentiles. Not only do they admire you, uh, you are given preferential treatment by all the Gentile nations in the end times. Even more so. Isaiah 61, 5. And foreigners, you know, people, Gentiles. Foreigners shall feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen. But you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. 
this is an end times passage and it says you're going to be the most important nation in the world and other nations are going to serve the Jewish nation. Amos 9:11. In that day I'll raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen. Uh, David, you know, was the king of Jerusalem. And, of course, there's no king in Jerusalem now, but there will be someday. So in that day, I'll raise up the tent, the dwelling place of David, and then they will possess the remnant of all the Gentiles. Gentiles. So the Jewish people are the bosses of the Gentiles. They are the most important nation. Uh, They are the first among equals, you might say. They have first say, first pick. And then there's geographical nearness to Messiah. You know that when Jesus comes to earth, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. And it's actually going to be in the Holy Land. It's actually going to be in Jerusalem. And as it turns out, we are told that his nearest neighbors in Jerusalem are Jewish people. You think, well, naturally, you know, because Jewish people have always had a claim on Jerusalem. But no, you don't understand. Like if Jesus was living in Virginia Beach, I would like to be his neighbor. I would like to be his near neighbor. I mean, even if it was a celebrity that we're talking about. I mean, who's your favorite celebrity? I don't know if I have a favorite. Let's, let's make it Harrison Ford. He's pretty great, right? If Harrison Ford was going to move next door to my house, I would put a second story on my house so I could spy on his backyard. Uh, I don't think I'd really... But you know, it's a big deal to be the near neighbor to a celebrity. All right. Well, what if he is the Lord Jesus himself? I want to be near him. I want to be next toward him. If I can't be next toward him, I want to live in the same town. If I can't live in the same town, then I want to live in the same nation. I want to be near him. What nationality do you suppose in the end times gets to be the near neighbor to Jesus when he sets up his palace and his kingdom in Jerusalem? Which nationality? All the Italian people, do you guess? No. The Asian people? No. The Americans. The Virginia Beachans? No. Here's what happens. Jeremiah 7, 7. Then I will cause you to dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Uh Uh-oh. When you're reading the Bible and it says the word forever, that might mean just like a long time. Like this person is going to be my servant forever. Well, when we die, he's not going to be my servant anymore. It's just like a really long time. But if it says forever and ever, uh uh-oh. That's infinity. Then I will cause you to dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So what nationality is going to be living next to Jesus when he puts his kingdom in Jerusalem? The ones who have always lived there since the land grant. Micah 4.1 But in the last days it shall come to pass that the Lord shall reign over them in what place? Mount Zion, which is the nickname for Jerusalem. For how long? Forever. Ezekiel 37.25 And they, you know, the Israelites, shall dwell in the land in which your fathers have dwelled forever. And then the Gentiles shall know that I sanctify Israel. They're special. I set Israel apart. They're special. Then the Gentiles will know that I sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. The Jewish people get to live next to Jesus. You think, what a jip. How unfair. (laughs) Like, no. In the end times the Lord will return to preferential treatment for the Jewish people. And until you come to that conclusion, not only are Old Testament passages closed to you, but you find New Testament passages that don't make any sense to you at all either. You have to accept this preferential treatment again. 
The problem, though, is that Jewish people are resented everywhere today. And the idea of preferential treatment for Jewish people in the future is repugnant in our culture. So we have to talk about things as they are today. You realize that in Isaiah 11, it's uncanny, really, that Isaiah, and you realize this is 700 years before Christ, right? So we are approaching 3,000 years ago. Isaiah said there will be two gatherings of Israel in the land of Israel, the Holy Land. So in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for a signal of the people. To it, the Gentiles shall seek. And that's Jesus who descends from Jesse. And now we Gentiles love Jesus. And we came here today to worship him. So we have sought him. And his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day. And you notice that term in that day. That's an end times term. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. All right. So there's supposed to be two gatherings of the people of Israel into the land of Israel. Two. Well, some people say, well, it must be the first gathering is when the Exodus happened. We took them from Pharaoh and we took them to the Holy Land. So that's gathering number one, right? And that must be what Isaiah meant for gathering number one. But that doesn't work too well, right? Because it says the remnant of his people will be recovered from Assyria. You know, in the Exodus, Assyria doesn't make any difference. They're in Egypt and they escaped from Egypt. Pathros and Cush, Cush, that's Ethiopia. Well, the Jewish people weren't in Ethiopia at the time of the Exodus. That really doesn't work. Elam, Shiner, Hamath, that's, uh, those are Arabs. Um, you know, and the islands of the sea. Well, the Jewish people did not escape from the islands of the sea to get away from Pharaoh. That really doesn't work. So let's say that the first regathering was after the Babylonian captivity um, and in the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, everybody goes back, and they really do come from all over the Babylonian Empire. So that works, gathering number one. Well, all right, so that's before the age of the New Testament, and then you have the New Testament age, and in 70 AD, Jerusalem is destroyed, and the Jews get scattered all over the world, as they are today, all over the world. And then in 1948, Israel became a nation again, and all the Jewish people started migrating back. That's gathering number two. That's extraordinary. You know why you need to know that? Because the question comes up, well, what if they get scattered again? Like, what if if something bad happens in the nation of Israel today and the Jewish people get scattered all over the face of the earth again? Then we have to bring them back. There would have to be another gathering. I mean, that could delay the Lord's return for centuries because it went from 70 AD to 1948 the first time, right? So what if it happens again? Well, Isaiah is indicating that there is only going to be two. You have the return under Ezra and Nehemiah. You had the scattering after 70 AD. And you have 1948 regathering. That's two. There's only supposed to be two. Daniel 7.21. How will the Jewish people be treated in the end times? I beheld the same mighty ruler, Daniel 7 shows this terrible guy, just just vicious and cruel. I beheld in the same mighty ruler made war with the saints. In Daniel's day, the saints were Jewish people. I mean, there were some converts, but mostly Jewish people. Made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came. So that's obviously end times, right? So the Jewish people are hated in the end times. 
Same thing in Matthew 24, 15, when Jesus was talking about this. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let them who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Run. You see, the trouble is in Jerusalem. The trouble is in Judea. You have to get out of Dodge. There's, there's big trouble. You know, it doesn't say, let those who are in Indianapolis, Indiana, run for the Rockies. It's all in the Holy Land. It's all the Jewish people. Jewish trouble, the Jewish people are hated in the end times. Zechariah 14.2 I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. They're hated. All the nations dogpile on Jerusalem. They're hated. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. That's an end times text. The Jewish people are going to be irrationally hated in the end times. Revelation 12.13 When the dragon, representing Satan, saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, representing Israel. He persecuted Israel, which brought forth the male child. Jesus is, you know, a son of Israel. Verse 17 And the dragon, the devil, was furious with Israel. Furious. And he went to make war with the remnant of her seed to kill all the Jewish people. That's an end times text. And you see then that there's this irrational hate that is demon inspired, Satan inspired against Israel. So here's where we are today. Right now in the United States, the political left, and by that we mean the academic culture and mainstream media, constantly give us the impression that every nation in the world is expected to live in land that was gained by war. Germany can live in a land that was once the Roman Empire, but now we call it Germany. Um, Iraq can live in a land that was once called Persia, but now it's just Iraq. Everybody lives in land that was gained by war, and that's okay, except for one nation. Israel, they gained their land by war and they're bad. Strange. We all live in land that was gained by war. The message sometimes sounds like this. Israeli citizens are oppressors of the Palestinians. But there's not much difference between saying Israeli citizens are oppressors of the Palestinians and then just saying, actually, the Jews are a troublesome race of people. And those messages get mixed all the time. From 2015 to 2022, according to a recent article in the Jerusalem Post, the United Nations General Assembly passed 115 condemnatory resolutions against Israel. 115 against just little Israel. And how many resolutions against the whole rest of the world? 45. So Israel is the worst of nations, according to the U.N. General Assembly trends. Why? It's unreasonable. On June 9th, last summer, reporters from CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, other mainstream media outlets signed an open letter. And this open letter demanded that from now on we use the term apartheid when we're talking about the Jewish government. Now, the reason that's so important is, as you know, in our current cultural atmosphere, the last sin that's left, I suppose you could add homicide and rape, but the last sin in the whole world that anybody even cares about is racism. And apartheid is a synonym 
to racism. And what we've learned in recent years is once you are accused of racism, you will go down. This is terminal. It is code blue. You can't win. This is unwinnable. So once Israel is accused of racism, you are seeing the beginning of the end. I don't know how they can survive this. Nobody else is surviving it in our current cultural milieu. So the open letter says to all journalists everywhere, we have to start referring to Israel as apartheid, as racist. We have failed our audiences with a narrative that obscures Israel's military occupation and its system of apartheid, racism. These terms, apartheid, persecution, ethnic supremacy, are increasingly gaining institutional recognition. Do you realize how important that is? It's becoming more and more of a thing. Israel is bad. Israel is racist. On April 27th, one year ago, for the first time ever, the Human Rights Watch organization, which is a human rights organization, they published a claim for the first time that the state of Israel is an apartheid state. Uh, They published reports saying that. This is our position. February 1st, this very year, Amnesty International did the same thing. They published a claim for the first time that the state of Israel is an apartheid state. Like, wow. So that's the way it is. March through April this year, 17 Israeli citizens were killed in a series of attacks by Palestinians and Arabs in Israel, making that the deadliest two-month period in a long time. March 31st, in New York, hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters marched with signs and chants. And here's what they said. Intifada, which means uh, uprising. Intifada until victory. We will free Palestine within our lifetime. Resistance is justified when people are colonized. From the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, Palestine will be free. By the way, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea is basically the nation of Israel. That's the whole thing. And we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to have it all. They said, there is only one solution. Intifada revolution. That's what they were chanting. That's in New York. That's just a couple months ago. Again, a couple months ago, April, hundreds of protesters in New York chanted over drums, globalize the Intifada uprising from the river to the sea. Same thing. They said, we don't want no two-state. We want all of it. Israel, go to hell. This is in New York City. May 14, 2022. Thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters marched in London with signs that said, free Palestine. And Israeli apartheid, there's our word, Israeli racism, boycott Israel. In December of 2019, not so long ago, the Simon Wiesenthal Center charged elite North American universities as the primary promoters of global anti-Semitism. The big problem is in the universities, and almost all the universities today, the state universities, strongly support the boycott, sanction, and divest Israel movement, which just basically means ostracize Israel, be hard on Israel. In 2019, again, the organization Stop Anti-Semitism named a United States Congresswoman as the biggest anti-Semite of the year. A United States Congresswoman. It's like important, you know, if she's a Congresswoman. This Congresswoman once posted on Twitter, May Allah awaken the people and help them to see the evil doings of Israel. Israel is bad. She also compared the democracies of Israel and U.S. with terrorist organizations. This was uh, just last summer. She talked about unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and Taliban 
So basically, U.S. and Israel are committing atrocities just like Hamas and Taliban. Just lump them all together. A congresswoman, a different congresswoman from Michigan, she repeated for her one million viewers the false accusation that Israeli citizens threw a boy in a well and drowned him, a Palestinian boy. It was false. When it was determined that this was not true, she did not apologize. Again, she's a congresswoman. She also posted a picture of herself not very long ago, March of 2020, on social media, promoting a book from an anti-Semitic author, and she's wearing a T-shirt with a map on it, and the map is of the Middle East, and Israel doesn't exist on the map. It's gone. That's a U.S. congresswoman. Pew Research says that between the year 2030 and 2035, there will be slightly more Muslim babies born that year than Christian babies. And this has captured the imagination of a lot of Muslim people. Bruce Bauer in his book, While Europe Slept, said a t-shirt popular among young Muslims in Stockholm, Sweden, says 2030, then we take over. It's quite a thing to imagine. This is a picture of the bulge that uh, we saw on Mount St. Helens in 1980. I know you can't see everything very clearly, but if you can see that there is a uh, dotted line on the right-hand side of the graphic, and the dotted line is much under the solid black line. The solid black line is the bulge, and this grew to be 450 feet above the surface just before Mount St. Helens blew up and cost 57 people their lives and did all of that damage. Our U.S. Congresswoman said recently, I will not support an effort to enable and support war crimes, human rights abuses, and violence. The Israeli government is an apartheid regime. That's the bulge. It is not sustainable. So does God still have a special attachment to the Jewish race? Yes, he does. He has an everlasting promise of preferential treatment in the end times. And that promise cannot be controverted. It, it shall come to pass. Believers must never participate in the irrational dislike, prejudice, bias against Israel. We must not participate in that. But contrary-wise, we should see it as an unmistakable foundation for the soon return of Christ. Mount St. Helens metaphorically speaking, is bulging. And we should be, on the one hand, worried about that, and on the other hand, pretty excited about that. Can we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Father God, we realize that we live in a time where there is a lot of anti-Christian sentiment, there's a lot of defection from the faith, and there is a lot of anti-Israeli sentiment. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be discouraged as we see the bulge growing. Uh, We know that it's bad in many ways. But I pray that we would also realize that this is what you said should happen and that our times are in your hands. And I pray that you would find us standing sturdy for your word, your promise, and your rescue in the end. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.